0: Would you like to turn to John chapter 21? John 21 is a passage which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, uh, as you are with many of the Easter passages, but when we look at them again, you know, and we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, it's surprising what's in these passages we think we know, and we see uh, what God was doing. And it was interesting this morning that so many of our songs were about loving Jesus And this passage is absolutely about loving Jesus. So I'm reading from the latest New International Version translation. So if there are some words that I read that aren't quite the words in your Bible, that's probably why. Uh, But I'm sure you'll be able to follow it anyway. So let's look at verses 1 to 17. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didibus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, yeah, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. And the other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a 100 metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there it was with fish on it and some bread Jesus said to them bring some of the fish you've just caught so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish I like that not little tiddlers large fish that you can get your teeth into 153 but even with so many the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And all the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon... Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why did John include this chapter? Have you you ever asked yourself that? Why did John include this chapter? After all, chapter 20 has a blockbuster ending. It's got various resurrection appearances and it finishes up with a statement of why the gospel was written. Now that seems to me a very good place to end. What you might say, a really high note. But it doesn't. Why is that? Well, for me, this epilogue to the gospel, as you could call it, this epilogue is included for two reasons. And here's reason number one. It marks a transition. It marks the transition from the ministry of Jesus, which the gospel has been all about, from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the apostles, as we see recorded in the Acts of the Apostles led by a restored Peter. So it's marking this transition from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the apostles led by Peter. And secondly, it presents us with three pictures. Three pictures here which illustrate the relationship and the responsibilities each one of us has to the risen Christ relationship and responsibilities that we have to the risen Christ and here they are I'll set them out for you and then we'll develop them we are to be first of all his fishermen we are to be his fishermen that's our relationship who obey him that's our responsibility and we see that in verses 1 to 14 that we've just read And that's the first picture, fishermen who obey him. The second picture is about being his shepherds, that's the relationship, who love and serve him. That's the responsibility, verses 15 to 17. So that's the second picture, shepherds who love and serve him. And the third one, we didn't read, but I shall come to it, the relationship here is being his disciples. That's the relationship. And the responsibility is that we follow him. Verses 19 to 22. That's the third picture. Disciples who follow him. Right, let's try and unpack those a little bit, paint them in a little bit. You know, as they're pictures. We had a little sketch there. Now let's sort of get the paintbrush out and just paint it in and make it really come alive, hopefully, for each one of us. So picture one, then. Fishermen who obey him, verses 1 to 14. When you read this miracle, does it it remind you of anything? Does it seem familiar? Do you think, hang on a minute, nets, loads of fish that they can't contain? I've read that before. And, you know, if you look back in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, you'll see a very, very similar miracle. Luke 5, 1 to 11. And it's interesting to compare and contrast these two occasions. The occasion in Luke and this occasion after the resurrection in John. By by contrast, I obviously mean what's different about it. What happened here, contrasting what happened here with what happened then on that previous occasion? Okay, so the first contrast is this. In Luke, this kind of incident with the fish and the nets happened at the start of Jesus' ministry. In John's account here, this miracle comes at the start of Peter's ministry as leader of the early church. Secondly, No, not secondly. It was after that miracle. Let me just expand that a little bit. It was after that miracle in Luke that they quote from Luke 5 verse 11, pulled up their boats. They pulled up their boats and they left everything and they followed Jesus after this incident with the fish that Luke talks about. And it was after this miracle that Peter, this miracle here in John, that Peter in particular would renew that commitment to serve and follow Jesus. So it was like a renewal of what had happened before. The second contrast is this. In Luke's account of the earlier incident, they went fishing at Jesus's instigation. Jesus said, go out and fish. Here in John, we see it was, it was at Peter's instigation that they went out to fish. Now, we're not told why Peter decided to go fishing. There have been many suggestions down the years as to why. And there's also debate about whether it was right to go fishing or whether it was wrong to go fishing. This is by theologians who've got nothing better to do than sit around and argue about things that don't really matter, to be frank. But there we go. And also, get paid massive sums for doing it. I'm just frantically jealous. Anyway, we move on. Peter if you'll notice here in verse 3, seems to be the acknowledged leader now. you know, Because they say to him, look at, back at verse 3 of John 21, we'll go with you. He says, I'm off fishing. And they say, okay, we'll come with you. The third contrast is this. On the first occasion in Luke, the nets broke under the weight of the fish. In this occasion, the nets held fast. A fourth contrast is, in Luke's account of the earlier happening, Jesus was in the boat when this happened. Here, where is he? He's not in the boat, is he? No. He's on the shore. Now, can you see the significance of this? Are Are you getting this? This transition period, Jesus is not in the boat. So, The significance of this is it's really symbolic symbolic of the fact that he was not going to be physically present with them in the boat if you like much longer but he was saying that he would still speak to them by his spirit to lead and guide them even though he's like moving from the boat when he's been with them all this time for three years now he's going to be into glory but he's still going to be with him like on the shore is a kind of a picture do you see and that he's still going to be with them and he's still going to minister into their lives through his holy spirit being with them so jesus now not in the boat but on the shore and the fifth contrast we can see is peter's reaction now his reaction on these two occasions is quite fascinating First of all, in Luke's occasion, as soon as Peter saw about the nets and the fish and everything, what was his reaction? He wanted Jesus to depart from him. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, I don't deserve to be in your presence. He wanted Jesus to depart from him. What happens here? What happens here? He wants to get to him. This time, completely different, isn't it? See the contrast that's happening again here? He wanted to get to him. He can't wait to get to Jesus. Verse 7 told us, he jumps in the water and he makes for the shore. I can't wait to get to him. Completely different, isn't it? If you're asking me what's the same, well, they'd fished all night and caught nothing. That's the same. And they followed Jesus' instructions. On both occasions, and on both occasions they were overwhelmed by the number of fish that were caught. In fact, in John's um, account here, on this occasion, we're actually told the actual number. We weren't in on the first occasion in Luke. Here it's 153. I remember singing a song when I was at Sunday school. How many fishes were in the net? 153. and fifty and three. Do you think Peter expected to get 153?" So it goes on, all right? Still remember it, still remember it, all these years later. So what can we learn from this? How can we kind of apply this? What's it saying to us today? Well, what it's saying is, I think, two things particularly. Number one, obedience brings results in abundance. Obedience brings results in abundance, The difference, you see, between success and failure was the width of a boat. The difference between success and failure was the width of a boat. You know, they could have ignored Jesus' instructions, couldn't they? When Jesus shouted out, cast your nets over on that side, they could have said, nah, we'll just pack it in. We've had enough of this. And if they done that what an experience they would have missed now along with the disciples we are called to be in the words of Luke 5:10, which is with that first occasion we are called to be and I quote fishers of men fishers of men in other words we are to bring people to Christ we are to fish people throughout that fish people and bring them to Christ Obedience to God will enable us to catch men, as the NLV translates it. Catch men and women, but catch people, if you like, for his kingdom. The thing is, are we listening to his instructions? Because that's the recipe for results in abundance. Do you want results in abundance? I'm sure you do. I think we all do, don't we? then we must seek the Lord and hear what he says. And this brings us to me the second point we can apply to ourselves out of this, and it's this. All our efforts are useless if they're not under his direction. All our efforts are useless if they're not under his direction. You see, abundant blessing only comes through being obedient to his directing we need to make sure we're doing what God wants rather than what we want now that sounds easy but in my experience it can be very difficult because see we can have lots of good ideas about how we ought to do things and sometimes we get carried away with our own ideas we sound perfectly good yeah we'll try that that sounds a brilliant idea let's do that and yet it's following what he says That counts. We always need to check it out with God. What's He saying? So, we're to be fishermen who obey Him. Fishermen who obey Him. And you know, this picture of us as Christ's fishermen is very appropriate because of the qualities that fishermen need to show. Think of what some of them might be. I'll give you some ideas of my own. First of all, patience. If you're a fisherman, you've got to be patient. Have you been down ferry meadows and seen them all under the brollies fishing? have you? Are they there all day. They have to be patient. The fish don't just say, oh, you're here today, are you? I'll jump into your net. No, absolutely not. They have to be patient and wait. They have to be persistent. Fishermen have to show persistence, never giving up. And here's an interesting thing. When you think about fishing in a boat, they have to know how to cooperate. They have to know how to cooperate with one another in the boat. Otherwise, they'd never catch anything. If they're all squabbling about, oh, we ought to go this direction, no, oh, we ought to go that direction, we ought to throw the nets there, no, we ought to throw the nets there, and so on, ad infinitum, they'd never get anywhere, would they? And you know, these characteristics are ones that we all need to show to crew the boat that is open door Peterborough. Now we move on to verse 12. And in verse 12, we have this lovely picture of Jesus making breakfast for them. He's having a barbecue on the beach. What a lovely, practical, down-to-earth thing this is. I always ask myself, where did Jesus get the bread and fish from? Have you ever asked that? Where did Jesus get the bread and fish from? Perhaps he brought it with him. Perhaps he took, turned some stones into bread. Huh? Because he wasn't doing it for his own benefit, he was doing it for the benefit of the disciples. Had Jesus himself been fishing? Or had he just been to the corner ship, you know, the Palestinian equivalent of Tesco Express, on the way there? (laughs) (laughs) However it got there, we're not told. But don't you think it's a wonderful picture of servanthood? Jesus doing this barbecue on the beach for his disciples. The resurrected Christ, the Lord of glory, is standing there cooking some fish. Just It just gives me goosebumps when I think about it. I just think, it's just fantastic. Now, when they saw it, do you think the disciples thought about the last time that they ate a meal with Jesus? Do you think they might have done? And you know when that was, of course, it's what we call the last supper And think of something else Jesus did at the Last Supper. He washed their feet. He washed their feet. Also the action of a servant. Now notice that this concept of servanthood is developed in the next section. But before we move on to picture two, let's consider the memories. Let's consider the memories, particularly for Peter, which were conjured up by this experience because this is a link to what happened next I think Peter would have remembered that first catch of fish that we have mentioned already described in Luke after which Jesus had taught the people from his boat it's almost like now I'm going to be teaching people from the boat now, as a leader of the of the early church, as the one who gave that magnificent sermon on uh, the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ. That was Peter. Secondly, I think he would have remembered the feeding of the 5,000 because you've got, what have you got there? You've got bread, loaves, and you've got fish. It's the feeding of the 5,000 reflected here, replicated here on the beach. And it was after that miracle, you may remember, that Peter had given a clear-cut witness of his faith and his loyalty to Jesus. See it in John 6, 66 to 71. And thirdly, he would have remembered the fire of burning coals that John mentions here in verse 9. The fire of burning coals. When he saw that, I'm sure he would have remembered another fire of burning coals. The fire at which he denied knowing Jesus. Look back at John chapter 18 and verse 18. So it's all there. And how that denial was the reason for what was to happen next. His denying of Christ was the reason for what was about to happen on that beach. In front of all the other disciples. He denied Christ publicly. So it was important that he was restored and reinstated publicly. And since Peter had denied Jesus three times, we see Jesus asks him three questions all on the same theme. You see, the three denials were all the same theme, weren't they? (laughs) He expressed it in different words to different people, but it was the same theme. And here, you're going to get three questions on the same theme. And Jesus also encouraged Peter by giving him a threefold commission that we'll see in verses 15 to 17 that restored Peter to his ministry and service. So three denials, three questions, threefold commission that signifies his restoration. You know, I'm sure Jesus knew Peter had been overpowered by fear on that occasion i'm sure jesus knew that peter had never stopped really loving him so much so i think there's proof of that and i think this is the proof that after his resurrection jesus had sent peter a personal message if you look at mark 16 and verse 7 and if you also look at luke 24 34 you will see that after his resurrection jesus had favored peter with a personal appearance and Paul implies that in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5 and on that particular post-resurrection personal appearance Luke 24 34 it seems that Peter there repented of his denial and that Jesus forgave him otherwise I don't think Peter would have been so keen to get out of the boat and rush to Jesus do you I think he'd be more for sailing in the opposite direction as fast as he could. So that, to me, all speaks of his repentance at this meeting, personal meeting with Jesus. And now he engages him in personal conversation, albeit in front of everybody else on the beach. But I just love this: before Jesus does this, he lets him get dry and eat his barbecue first i just love that it's just a wonderful touch of jesus's practical care for peter and also of course for each one of us so let's move on to verses 15 to 17 where we find picture two shepherds who love and serve him now did you notice that in each of the three questions jesus does not call him peter did you notice that We read it so often, we miss these little things that are so important. What does he address him as? He addresses him by his birth name. He addresses him as Simon and also, as the Jews often did, followed by his father. It would have been Simon Bar-Jonas or something like that. He uses Peter's birth name, Simon, rather than the name Jesus himself gave him. It's as though Jesus is right going back to square one with him and starting afresh with him. And notice that in each case we get a question followed by a response, followed by a commission. So question one, verse 15, do you truly love me more than these? Now this is a question about his priorities. Do you truly love me more than these? Don't you ever ask, more than these what? Well, perhaps it's more than these nets, more than this boat, more than these fish. In other words, do you truly love me more than worldly belongings and where your security is? You see, after the the crucifixion, when it all went pear-shaped as far as the disciples were concerned, what did Peter do? He rushed back to what he knew. He rushed back to his security. Security was his boat and he's fishing that's why and the others go with him and then they they meet Jesus through it so worldly belongings and security do you truly love me more than these people around you in other words your friends your family your fellow disciples do you truly love me more than these people love me Peter had claimed to love them more than anybody, love Jesus more than anybody else. John 13, 37, Matthew 26, 33, Mark 14, 29. He says, even if they all run off and deny you, I will never deny you. Do you love me more than these people love me? And his response says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word for love here is agape. Jesus says, do you agape me? And Jesus says, yes, I agape you. Agape, the Greek word. And agape, as a word for love, is sort of, do you love me sacrificially, selfishly, and unconditionally? That's the flavor of agape. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In other words, he's saying, yes, Lord, you have priority. You have priority in my life over everyone and everything. So Jesus says to him, feed my lambs and here we have that a change of picture a change of role from that of fisherman to that of shepherd how does that apply to us if you think of both these roles together we are to catch and to care fishermen shepherds to catch and to care we're to catch and bring people to christ that's our role as fishermen and then we are to care for them to disciple them to help them to grow from lambs into sheep this is our role as being a shepherd and it's a role that is not just to be dedicated to a leadership team or to a pastor it is the role of all of us to be shepherds of the sheep so that's question one question two again do you truly agape me This is a question about Peter's commitment, his commitment to Jesus. And his response is exactly the before. In other words, yes, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus says, commission, take care of my sheep. This applies in this way. We're to care just as much for the more mature members of the church as we do for the lambs. They need feeding as much as the lambs do. Do they get it? Question three. Do you love me? Do you love me? Have you noticed how each question gets shorter? Do we get down to the balls it down to the absolute forward nitty gritty? This is the essentials. Do you love me in this love the greek word changes it changes from agape which is in the first two it changes to philio which is another greek word which is a, is loving in a sense of relationship loving rather than sacrificial unconditional selfless loving so it's a question about his relationship with jesus do you love me and his response lord you know all things You know that I love you. In other words, I love you as a brother and I love you as a friend. You know that, Lord. Now, to be asked this question about his love for Jesus a third time upset Peter. Peter was hurt. When Jesus asked him a third time, I wonder when he twigged. I wonder when he twigged. I wonder when he realised why Jesus had asked him this question three times. Three times. And when Peter said, Lord, you know all things, I wonder if he was remembering that Jesus knew that Peter would, he, Peter, would deny him. Lord, you know all things. Because Jesus said to him, when he says, I'll never deny you, um, Jesus said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. <coughs> Jesus, Lord, you know all things. I just wonder if that's boiling in his mind there was he realizing that nothing is hidden from God and you know we can apply this to ourselves God knows our true motives he knows our attitudes he knows our thoughts he knows all about us now to me that is either scary or it's wonderful it's either scary or it's wonderful which is it for you and why is it that for you commission again feed my sheep you see the truth of peter's love the truth of peter's love for jesus and about his relationship with jesus was to be shown in service service to the flock of the good shepherd he'd repented already now he was being asked to commit his life to God's service and you know similarly our repentance should be followed by a wholehearted commitment to serving God his love for God would be powerfully seen in his ministry and his leadership it would ultimately cost him his life if you look down to verse 19 this encounter at the barbecue was fundamental in changing peter from a fisherman to a leader and evangelist peter's life was never the same again and you know jesus this morning comes to ask us the same life-changing question do you love me more than these do you love me more than anything else do you love me more than career possessions that fancy car you've got all you'd like money or anyone else family friends fellow christians it's not way, well, he's not asking you to abandon these hear what i'm saying he's asking if he's number one in our lives now in my time i have filled in many application forms many application forms and they all consist of lots of questions trying to prize out from you different points of information but you know There's only one question on the kingdom service application form. There's only one question on the kingdom service application form and it's four words long and you know what it is. Do you love me? Because you see, the answer to this question is all that matters to God our total love and devotion is what he's looking for he's not impressed he is not impressed by any other qualities talents attributes we may have you know but god i can do this and i can do this and i can do this all useless all useless to god if we don't love him with our whole being you know that's why he asks you this morning do you love me what's your answer It's easy to say we love God. The real test is, are we willing to serve him no matter what the consequences might be, no matter to what he might ask us to do or where he might ask us to go? It's a big statement to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That is a big, big thing to say. Will you commit your life, I wonder, afresh this morning to God's service? Very quickly, I'm aware of time rushing by. In verses 19 to 22, (laughs) we find picture three. Picture three is about disciples who follow him. Disciples who follow him. Look at verse 19. Then he said to him, that's Peter, Follow me. Literally, it means keep on following me. It always reminds me of what Paul writes when he says, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. And what it means is, is keep on being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we just get this idea as a thinker, or one occasion or one thing, it's not. It's a lifestyle. It's a life day thing. Keep on following me. Now, this must have been music, to peter's ears you know he'd been restored to serve the lord even rhymes doesn't he restored to serve the lord right restored and that's why we've been restored <laughs> we've been restored to serve the lord not to serve ourselves we're to serve the lord his life's transformed and he never lets god down again if you look right through the acts the apostles Peter never lets God down again oh he's got some opinions some very strong opinions that he needs to change and he has to have visions and all sorts to sort him out he hadn't got everything sussed right? he wasn't the finished article but he'd been restored do you love me right if you love me I can make you what I want you to be and it might take visions, and it might take circumstances, and it might take trials, and it might take, well, you name it. But I'll do it because you love me and I love you. And we can do it together. And then Jesus told Peter what would happen to him in verses 18 to 19. But Peter couldn't resist, I love this, <laughs> Peter couldn't resist asking what would happen to John. If you look at verse 21, what will happen to him, Lord? Jesus told Peter what's going to happen to Peter. Peter's more interested in what's going to happen to John. And in verse 22, Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? (laughs) Oh, no, you got it. Yeah, absolutely. What's that to you? Not if your business, because Jesus goes on, you must follow me. Okay, never mind what he's going to do to Ray Markham or Dave Key or anybody else. What about you? You follow me, says Jesus. So Peter's rebuked. He's rebuked and reminded. Rebuked for meddling in the lives of others and reminded that his job was to follow Jesus, to serve him, to follow him. Disciples who follow Jesus. That's what a disciple does. It's the difference between a disciple and a convert. Jesus didn't call us to be converts. He called us to be disciples, to be converted. Yes, that's the, but that's just the start, not the end. It's the beginning follow Jesus to become disciples and you know it's easy to allow ourselves to be distracted from following Jesus I know this happens to me all the time you get distracted you get distracted by your circumstances what happens to you and even by what happens to other people or by what they're saying or by what they're doing it's the it's the Peter Situate syndrome. What's going to happen to John? He gets distracted by it. We can get distracted by what God is doing for others and in their lives. I'm not saying we shouldn't take an interest and that we shouldn't care. Look, hear me what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying where our focus really needs to be, as far as our own development is concerned. The writer to the Hebrews, who, by the way, I'm convinced was Apollos. Hebrews 12, verse 2, he says, Let us fix our eyes on Ray. Let us fix our eyes on Dave. No. Let us fix our eyes on John, asks Peter. No. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus.